Ladies and gentlemen, you're watching Combat Connections, connecting all things combat. You're here with Lucario, Lo, and Masa, and today we're going to be discussing training for martial arts competitions. Now, competitions are not an integral part to all martial arts, and not necessary in all martial arts, but they are a fun thing that many martial artists compete in, whether it's point tournaments, wrestling tournaments, or even UFC. So we're going to be talking about the training we've been doing recently, or in the past, for martial arts competition. Yeah, guys, um, I guess first things first, what kind of competitions are you guys interested in? So, I've never actually competed before. I've always thought that I'd want to go into, like, some sort of K1 or continuous kickboxing. I've never wanted to compete professionally, but I always thought it'd be kind of fun. But, uh, recently I saw an advertisement come up for a MMA, it was an MMA tournament for cancer charity, so it's, uh, you sign up, you get a two-month course in BJJ, kickboxing, and fitness, and then you get a fight, basically, where all the proceedings of tickets and fundraising goes to cancer charity. So, I'm training for that currently. The fight is in August. That's nice. And you, Masa? So, I uh, was originally going to compete sometime around now. Uh, just because that was the first one that was open, but based on my weight and my height, I've decided to actually pass on this one, and the next one should be in July, which is when I would be competing. And is that an in-school competition, or is that like a Muay Thai general competition? A Muay Thai general competition. Nice. Very nice. And low? Um, I've complete. Uh, I have competed at the state and international levels in karate, kobudo, and mixed grappling. As you know, I am currently finally fish, finishing up the therapy for my knee, getting it exactly where I need it, and I'm working towards starting up some mixed grappling competitions again and getting into the cage. Hopefully by the end of the year, but if not, it should be early next year. Yeah, I mean, so tell us a little bit about your. Uh experiences training for I suppose the World Games is probably the most important one that you've done so far. Uh, that was a pretty big thing, international grappling competition. Uh, how how was your training for that? What sort of thing did you get into doing? Let's see. Um, for the 2019 games, we had a pretty booked schedule. My training consisted of, on Mondays we had, I would work um yeah, for about three hours, just training, karate, kickboxing, and jiu-jitsu. Tuesday would be just uh, cardio day, so lots of solo drilling and resistance band workouts. Uh, Wednesdays would be what we call here open mats. So I would do everything that was included on Monday, but lots and lots of sparring, which was just me getting my tail handed to me, because you tend to get better if you don't want to get hit. You tend to get better if you don't want to be slammed. You tend to get better if someone is trying to submit you. It's just reacting under pressure. Thursday would be our travel day. So on Thursday, I would either make a pilgrimage up to Laurel, Mississippi to work on some karate, or I would go to um, Butler, Alabama to train some other places. On Fridays, we would host a class for karate, kickboxing, and jiu-jitsu, just mixing the three together. 
which gives, it gave me a really big workout. But before and after the classes, I'd focus on my cardio a good bit and just solo drilling in general. On Saturdays, every week on Saturday, I would go and I would train at one of my main instructors for karate and just self-defense in general. And we would work for three hours, I, yeah, three hours, I believe, just training on the mornings. But once a month, I would make a trip down to Ashland, Alabama to train with one of the coaches in just fitness in general and different competition at uh, different competition styles. So his base being in Sambo and Yoshikai Karate, he had a little bit more to offer to the table. Different, different, what would the word be? Perspectives? Yeah. He had some different perspectives. Yeah, perspective. I was thinking introspects, but that's not a, I don't think that would work. Introspective kind of works, I think. It's like an inside perspective. Ah. All right, thank you. Anyways, he could um, give me some different perspectives on my own training and assist me. But those training sessions always started off with right at a two-mile run to get us loose and tons of kihan just to get us dead tired. Their mindset is if you wear down the body where the body is weak and the mind's all that remains, you force yourself to grow stronger, which I can get behind that. Those training sessions, they average, I think, five to six hours. It was really rough. But it got me in fighting time. It got me in fighting shape. So this year, just getting into the cage, what I consist of is so recently we've dropped our Monday classes. So this year, for getting ready to the cage, I go up to Morton, Mississippi on Mondays to train judo, jujitsu, and work some kickboxing and wrestling into it. On Wednesdays, of course, we have our open mats, which is a lot more judo and wrestling focused than they have been in the past. On Fridays is when I mainly work my striking. Thursdays still being our, our travel days. But Fridays, what I've been doing more so recently is using my striking to combat grapplers and using my grappling to combat strikers. So I'll have someone wearing their MMA gloves and I'll be wearing my MMA gloves and they'll be sit, they'll go into the cage or our, just our little ring and their whole purpose will be, you're going to try to outbox me. So when they're sitting there trying to take my head off, my immediate reaction needs to be slip, parry, immediately move in, try to get the takedown and gain control. Then we'll switch it. So they'll be in there. I'll be trying to strike and keep my distance while they'll be sitting there trying to immediately shoot on me, try to get control, slam me to the ground, get whatever position they want. So it teaches me both sides of the coin. Either I keep as close as I can to them, you know, trying to get them where I need, or I try to maintain distance and maintain posture, working my footwork into it. That way I can kind of stress test what works for me and what doesn't. Take what works, discard what doesn't. So that's been pretty good. On Saturdays, I'm still going and training with my, my instructor in Kinkojiku Karate. We've been recently just focusing on some more grappling-oriented aspects of it, which is going to help me in the cage. Lots of brachial stuns, but... Nice. Brachial stuns are always a good thing. I think they're very underrated and underutilized technique, honestly, but also... When I say underrated, I mean like people don't really understand them, so they tend to dismiss them because of the people that don't understand them. Fun fact about the brachial stun. You know I went to that seminar with Hawk Hawkheim, right? Yes. He was talking about brachial stuns. He says when he was younger and working with the police force in, um, I think he was in Austin, Texas. 
He says he can remember being called on a case where these two individuals were being very, very rough and violent. Anyways, him and his partner split off. He went and handled one individual who he said was probably around 6'3". Now, Hawk is a taller individual. He's like 6'3", 6'4". So he's a he's in decent height. He handled the, he handled the smaller individual, which was around his height, got him cuffed, had him, had him booked, everything else. He goes to check on his partner, and his partner is sitting there struggling on this man who he says was maybe 6'9", 6'10", giant. He said it was just a big guy. Well, he was really big in the brachial studs at the time because he had used them and it had dropped several individuals. He sees the guy sitting there just pounding his, pounding his partner's face in. He immediately runs over and he tries to brachial stun him and it kind of surprised him that it didn't work. Everyone talks about how you can build muscle up, but muscle can't protect the neck. That's a big thing that the um, jiu-jitsu guys want to claim. That's true for a choke, but it seems that bigger individuals with lots of muscle mass tend to be a little bit more resistant to brachial stuns. I just thought that was an interesting fact. So That is, a, that is actually an interesting observation. So for those of us who don't know what that is, could one of you explain it? Uh, a brachial stun is the forced short circuit of the nervous system. So, for example, if you take your forearm and you smash into the side of someone neck, someone's neck, what do you think is going to happen? All right, you have your blood flow, right? Yeah. If, if Think of it in like a water hose. If you take a water hose and you squeeze it, like you put a kink in it, mm-hmm. you just squeeze it really tight, and then you release it, what's going to happen? It's going to surge. The human body is the same way. So you have like a water hose running on the side of your neck, Whenever you do a brachial stun, so just hitting with the side of your forearm straight into it, you're causing a minor kink, which a lot of times can render someone unconscious for just a second. It makes them more compliant. Like a karate chop, but real. <laughs> which, by the way, those are not actually part of karate. They were originally called judo chops and switched in like the 70s, wasn't it? Like the shitos? Yeah. Yeah, like a shooto strike. That was originally called a judo chop until like the seventies huh. or something. I have no idea what you're going on about. You don't know that? I have no you idea. You didn't know that was a thing. That was yeah. They were originally called judo chops. You talking about what the Americans called them? Yeah. Okay, you're thinking Americans. I'm sitting here thinking. I've got some. I've got some really old pictures of um, some Okinawan men demonstrating uh, shitohuke. And Shitouchi. Hmm. I don't think they train judo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I re- people originally called them judo chops. I didn't yeah. understand what you're saying. Okay, anyway. So, yeah. Oh, by the way, because you brought his name up, do you want to explain who Hawk Hockham is as well? Because not everyone's going to know that. Well, I mean, I do believe if people can find us, they can find Google. Damn, you rude. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'll... Uh, I'll I'll read his uh, Wikipedia off real quick. Honestly, it could just be like two sentences. W. Hawk Hockheim is a former military police patrolman and investigator. (laughs) Alright, so Hawk Hockheim is a... uh, Hockheim is a former military police patrolman and investigator. A former Texas patrol officer and detective. And former private investigator. During his career spanning three decades, he worked in the line operations only. And he's investigated more than 1,000 crimes and has arrested nearly as many people. All right. So what he does is he's really big into selling combatives and doing different sem- seminars for combatives. 
mainly focused on um, uh, CCW. So, no, it's not CCW. CQC, sorry. So, CQC being close quarters combat and combat, blah, and conflict psychology. So, he likes to go over the psychological aspects of situations you will be involved in, as well as keeping martial arts stupid simple. So, one thing that I want to make a video on coming up that you guys can leave in the comments is the argument of when does martial when when does martial and art need to be split so some styles will focus on martial and some styles will focus on art the reason i'm wanting to focus on this is hawk hawkheim completely took the art aspect out of martial art and everything is just stupid simple drills that people can just sit there and train with having no artistic value in any way so I kind of want to see other people's opinions on this. Is it something that would be worth making a video about, or just leave it be? I think that's an interesting idea. Um, since I kind of talked a bit, Luke, out of you, um, what are you doing getting ready for the cage? I know you've been really excited about it, and it seems like it's for a really good cause. What are you doing to prepare yourself, and what do you think you could do differently, or what are you really happy with your progress? So, yeah, I recently signed up, recently being, like, about a month ago, for this exhibition fight for cancer charity, cancer research. And uh, the fight's going to be in August. I got accepted into the Facebook group about a week ago. I've seen people are training, boxing, Muay Thai, MMA. Some of them are returning people to this competition, so they've already had the two-month boot camp. That's not started yet. That starts in June, and the fight is the beginning of July. Uh, so, uh, I've been trying to get in my training, a lot of workouts, I've been doing a lot of, uh, weight training, lifts, chest presses, butterfly presses, things like that. Uh, my cardio work has consisted mainly of, uh, much like Lo had said earlier, footwork, shadow boxing, uh, timed bag work. It's not a big cardio fight, but cardio is always going to be important in fights, the rounds are going to be two minutes with a minute break in between. Uh, I've also started in my grappling training. I've done parts of grappling before. I'm, I've done a lot of sweeping, a few takedowns and locks and stuff like that. I've not done much groundwork before up until now, so I've started training Neiwaza in my Kempo. I believe the Neiwaza is based on Fusum Ryu. The, the like, history about my Kempo is a bit suspect. I know that my teacher has also trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before. So yeah, I, again, it's I'm doing three days a week of weight training and I'm starting off with a light cardio warm-up every day and then going into that leg weights on some days and arm weights on the other days and then doing uh, shadow boxing bag work and footwork with cardio focus other days and then I have my Kempo class once a week with extra training afterwards uh, technically a lot of group work and group sparring isn't allowed I've been able to form a bubble and for private for private classing which means I'm allowed to do pair work to get me more ready and I can do extra stuff like the grappling thankfully uh, so yeah I guess I it's really different for me training for a fight as in compared to my normal training that I've done before in martial arts and have been doing up till this point I recently I recently made a post about how much different the motivation is 
having such a short time frame to focus on getting more in shape and get focused on actually getting better with uh, like doing more hard sparring and taking it more seriously, doing a lot more workouts. Like I, I have worked out more recently than I think I ever have in my life <laughs> to try and get ready for this. Uh, it, it's a really weird and interesting experience. And like, I'm glad that I have people who were like, have competed before to help give me advice on how to get ready, even if I can't follow it exactly. So yeah, it's something I've only recently started in the last couple of weeks as well. So I'm just gonna see how it goes. But so far, weight training, cardio, shadow boxing, and then sparring and groundwork with a little bit of conditioning. But I will say this: conditioning is not something that you do well in a short amount of time. You do it every day, and it takes a long ass time to work. But even if it's not gonna do like the whole conditioning of like regrowing bones and stuff, it gets me more used to getting hit, which is kind of necessary. So moving on, uh, Masa, you you don't have anything like coming up in the immediate future, but you do have a plan to compete for Muay Thai. So uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So. Uh, competing is definitely very different than my other art where I didn't compete. Uh, we just mixed gender, um, size, skill, everything. Um, so like a, a yellow belt could go up against a black belt. Um, so it's very different moving into a territory where there are weight classes just because I have sparred people who's like, who are like, easily a foot and a half taller than me with significantly more skill and Kempo. Um, so moving to Muay Thai and trying to understand how they compete is just this whole world that I'm trying to get used to. And originally I wanted to be in a competition that's happening around now, but between the fact that I'm still pretty new when it comes to Muay Thai and the fact that uh, my weight class would put me with women who are just way too tall compared to me was the reason why I kind of was like, I'll keep practicing to compete, but I'm going to skip this one just because I want to work more on my footwork and defense and also continuing to eat healthier and work out more so I can drop more weight. Um, so I've been running uh, using the Thai jump rope which I actually really like uh, practicing. Of course, I've got the the Wave Master heavy bag in the backyard, which I'm very lucky to have. Um, I go to class, I have the private lessons, and then you know I have a notebook, and I write down all the things I've struggled with or the things that my coaches said I need to focus on, and I'll just go home and I'll just drill that and drill that. Um, but yeah, running is super important. Uh, coach basically requires that we run if we plan on competing. So I, I took a little break from that after I got the second vaccine, but uh, I'm going to be working up my cardio again, running, uh, tie jump rope, and just continuing to take the lessons. Uh, I was looking at YouTube, seeing kind of what else was out there for Muay Thai. 
a classmate actually recommended uh, a martial artist called Sylvie Douglas E2. I don't know if that's how you say her name, but she's a, a Muay Thai fighter on the shorter side, and she's doing a lot of cool things with Muay Thai. She has tutorials, a blog about it, and she's putting together a Muay Thai library, which is like a collection she's building to preserve the knowledge of different Muay Thai legends. So I've kind of been that's following actually, that. Yeah? That's actually where that video I sent you came from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, she's the, she's the interviewer. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, her bring short, just kind of w working with taller people, you know, just figuring out how to deal with that. Because I'll keep someone and, I, you know, I'm still in their punching range. So that's kind of why I, I paused and was like, maybe I'm not going to compete at this specific one, but I do plan on competing soon. I just want to get into the right weight class. And of course, just get better in practice. That is something I've had to consider, actually, because so I'm five foot ten and I am trying to to fight at. Uh, so let me rephrase that. I'm five foot ten. And originally, I thought if I was going to fight, I'd have to cut down to about 90 to 100 kilograms. Uh, that's a bit of a big cut, but as I said before, I have been weight training more than I have been doing any other kind of any other kind of exercise. And anyone who knows anything about exercise knows that putting on muscle is going to make you weigh more. So I had to make a decision about that, about whether I wanted to put on muscle and possibly risk weighing more, because the muscle is going to help me burn fat, but how much, you know? And I had to make that decision because it's like I have a really short time to get ready for ready for this fight comparatively. I've got three months to get ready to fight, and I don't know who I'm going to be fighting. But I know no matter what I cut down, I'm still going to be fighting people who are most likely taller than me. So I made the choice that I should focus more on building up muscle. So even if I'm fighting someone who's taller than me, I'm at least comparatively physically able muscle wise whereas if I just focused on losing the weight I would be fighting someone who's similar height to me or more similar height to me but would probably have had more time working on mu building muscle mass and someone who's comparatively possibly stronger than me so that was just an interesting sort of dilemma I had to go through when thinking about how I was training for this fight well I've actually heard that weight training is and strength training is actually really great for losing weight. It is. It really so. The more muscle you have, then the more calories your body burns to keep you moving every day. The issue with that being that it takes a bit of time to put on that muscle and then have that muscle start burning calories out to make you lose that weight. And I don't have that time. That's fair. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, and you know what, it could turn out being that I fight someone else who's my height and just a little bit overweight, <laughs> and that's entirely possible, but I don't want to just be in there fighting someone who's a bit out of shape, I want to try and get to the best I am so that I can fight someone who's the best they are, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's really the whole point, like, I'm not someone, like I said earlier, I'm not interested in 
competing professionally, fighting professionally, making money out of competitive fighting. So why did I sign up? And it's literally because I want the experience. I enjoy martial arts, and I want to have that experience of training for something different, fighting something different, training newer martial arts that I don't have that much experience or knowledge in. And yeah, like, it's all just to be a better martial artist. Yeah, that's definitely why I want to compete. Um, because also, you know, you spar so many people in your gym. And that's great and all, but you start to be able to, to read them pretty well. It's like, oh, if I'm fighting this person, they look over here when they're going to do XYZ. Or that person over there always does the same combo and then follows with the, you know. You, you learn to read the people that you constantly fight with and then... It's it gets boring, and then how are you pushing yourself if you're just reading people the whole time? Like it's a great skill to have, but also there are other people to fight. There's so much out there to learn, and that's definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to compete. I actually I enjoy the aspect of sparring in your gym though. Like I enjoy learning how to read attacks and know when someone's doing what. And I know that they do it in the higher tier as well, like in the upper end of fighting, they will watch whoever they're going against and be like, okay, so they didn't do this, this is their tell for that, this is their tell for this. Like, it's a high... martial arts is way more intellectual than people give it credit for. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of body reading into it, and that's why there's also a lot of figuring out how do I set up my combinations without telegraphing it. Uh, but... I mean, yeah, it's, it's fun when you, you know the people and you, you learn to read them, but just for me, I I want more surprises, I guess, if that makes sense. It's for, it's a reason I like learning more about martial arts as well, though. Like, I've only dedicatedly trained to martial arts, and then I have a bit of varied experience, tried classes, done, like, different, like, sort of, like, seminars or, like, coaching camp whatever things yeah mm -hmm. uh, but I watch martial arts I talk to practitioners of martial arts I do drills from my friends who do different martial arts like Lo has taught me Filipino drills and I've had people teach me other Chinese martial arts forms or Japanese martial arts forms whatever it is yeah I spar against people who do other martial arts whatever and then the more variety you can add in, the harder it is for someone to predict what you're going to do. You know, if you can, if you learn, there are only so many ways of fighting. So if you can learn how to fight, then you can start taking ways other arts fight and just throw it in and switch up your style and keep adding new things. And that's what well, I think that's one of the things that really makes a martial artist is someone who goes through every art and says, I want to try this, I want to be able to do this. Yeah, but that works really well for MMA fights as opposed to if you're fighting with a specific set of rules. Like, I remember... Even, I, oh, yeah? Even a specific rule set, I don't think... There's still plenty you can do. Like, even your Muay Thai rule set for... I know you had that thing recently where you, were, where you uh, weren't allowed to do a judo throw. Well, you can still learn like a taekwondo kick. You can learn a boxing combination, a Filipino boxing combination. You know, nothing in the rules saying you can't do a straight punch, a side kick, something like that. 
Well, yeah, but that's also kind of stuff that you could probably find in the art already. It's just kind of like when you're fighting, sometimes things just happen. Like you just get into a rhythm of fighting. And then next thing you know, you accidentally judo flipped your coach because he got behind you. And that's just what was there. Um, luckily, he so. had a bit of a judo background and knew how to slap out. So he was fine. But it's just when you learn all of these things, and it's great and I love it. It's just when you have to fight with a specific rule set, making sure other things don't kind of slip out is just some something for me is a problem. I think I primarily the crossover needs to be conceptual. For example, um, do either of you watch uh, highlights from Sign Chai? No. From what? What now? The Tie Fighter, Sign Chai. No. Anyways, he's got this kick that he's known for, which is like a cartwheel kick, right? You've seen the video before, are you? I've yeah, yeah, it. I've seen that. Yeah. I think that if Tie Fighters were to look into some more showy arts that are focused less on the martial part, more on the art part, then they can start applying things in a similar fashion. For example, you see a lot of capoeira guys, when they're throwing like a um, round kick, a lot of times they'll brace on the ground. That's pretty much the same thing that uh, Sanchai is doing. But I get what Masa, I, I see what Masa is all, also saying. It needs to be conceptual and it doesn't need to take away from the rule set that you were competing in. Yeah, definitely. I think learning how to not break the rule set, especially if you're new to that rule set, is an issue. And that's why uh, a lot of people who encourage cross-training will always say, well, make sure you've at least put your basis first. You know how to do stuff in the style that you're doing now. Go to it with a blank mind and then add in what else you learn. You know, after three months, six months, however long it takes you to understand how to fight basically in that art then you can start doing other stuff in that art as long as it fits with what's allowed. It's the same way like a lot of, if you look into kickboxing competitions, karate guys do ridiculously well in kickboxing competitions because they understand the rules of kickboxing, they understand how to kickbox, but they have the extra speed from karate, the extra different types of kicks or different ways to approach a kick, things like that, you know? Yeah, it's just whatever you can make work for you. Hey everyone, this is Masa. This has been part one, so hit subscribe so that you can be notified when part two comes up. Thank you.